Well, praise God. I'm excited to bring this message. But I'd just like us to pray first, if you will join me. Father, I thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you will take the words, the concepts, the things that you have shared with me and in my heart, Lord, over these last few days, and that, Father, you will use them this morning. I thank you. I'll be your voice, your mouthpiece, Lord. And, Father, in like, I, don't, I don't profess to be eloquent in the way I speak, but I pray that I will speak the words that you have that will bring your anointing and it will bring your purpose, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's very interesting the way the Lord's already led the service because there's only two people who actually knew what I was speaking today and that was um, neither of them. One was Peter, one was Brooke, and neither of them were actually involved in the direction of the meeting and yet it's very much what Pre has led um, and the prophetic words which we've been given both by Caitlin and Caleb have so fitted into what God is saying and that to me. So <clears throat> I would invite you to come on a journey with me today and that I'm just going to try to get this so I can actually see my notes. Okay, I want us to, um, the, the title, a working title of the message, because I wouldn't be surprised if it's more than a one-part message, but at the moment the working title is Get Ready Because a New Chapter is Coming. Um, I, I know there are others here who um, enjoy my love for reading. Um, I know Sheridan is one of them, Brooke, uh, Caitlin, and that, um, many others around, and that who enjoy my love for reading. And so, um, you know the excitement when you're reading a book and you know there is a new chapter that you're about to start, or even more than that, that there's another book coming out in the series? You know, there's nothing worse than getting into a series, and, and I've done this before, a series of like you know, good Christian fiction books and then you come to the end and you find the next one's not being released for 12 months, you know, and that. So I always like waiting till the whole series is released before I start reading it because once I start, I don't like to stop and that. But I just want you to have an excitement today because the Lord has really said to me very specifically that get ready because there is a new chapter coming and that. So I want us to read from Joshua chapter 1. And that um, I'll be reading in the message translation. I'm not sure if they have that on the screens, but you can put up any similar translation. But Or you can follow me in your Bibles. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 to 9. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of God, God spoke to Joshua, Moses' assistant. And he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, I've, I've always found that quite unusual. <laughs> you know, it's like that's a little bit like stating the obvious, you know. This man has died, and so the first thing somebody says is, this man is dead. Um, I don't think it was because they didn't have a coroner's report. I don't think it was because they were unaware. Um, that in itself can be an entire sermon, um, and I think will potentially be a sermon, which, will be, which I'll preach later, but there is a reason why God stated that. But for today, I just want to move through. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead, so get going. Cross this Jordan River, you and all the people. Cross to the country I'm giving to the people of Israel. I'm giving you every square inch of the land you set your foot on, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this, and this Lebanon east to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the Hittite country, and then west to the great sea, it's all yours. All your life, no one will be able to hold out against you. In the same way I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I won't give up on you. I won't leave you. Strength, courage. 
you are going to lead this people to inherit the land that I promised to give their ancestors. Give it everything you have, heart and soul. Make sure you carry out the revelation that Moses commanded you, every bit of it. Don't get off track, either left or right, so as to make sure you get to where you're going. And don't for a minute let this book of the Revelation be out of your mind. Ponder and meditate on it day and night, making sure you practice everything written in it. Then you'll get where you're going and then you'll succeed. Haven't I commanded you strength, courage? Don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. God, your God, is with you every step you take. I love the book of Joshua. I read it at least once a year. Sometimes I read it multiple times a year. In fact, I'm on my third time through this year. And that I often start every year by reading it. I find it a book of beginnings, a book of encouragement, but a book of challenge, a challenging book for me to go in and take what God has got for me in, in a specific year or in a specific time. The book of Joshua is about promise and fulfillment and about possessing our tomorrows. God gave Joshua a promise, a destiny, a dream, but he also gave him instructions. God's promise to Joshua was pregnant with divine possibility. But every inch, it says, every inch of the land you walk on, I will give you, and no one will be able to hold out against you. That's a pretty amazing promise. But all the promises are also integrated with Joshua's responsibility. Don't get off track. Don't let the word of God drop from your memory or your conversation. And there's many, many, many other things that, that God says to Joshua. Now, one of the things as I was thinking and praying, Joshua had already done a lot. Okay, scholars, and I don't, I don't put myself in that category at all, but scholars guesstimate that he was potentially 83 years old when Moses died. So that's fairly significant age. And he'd served with Moses for well over 40 years. He, he had been part of the dynamic duo, Joshua and Caleb, who'd gone into um, the promised land and had scouted it out. And they were the two that came back and said, we are well able to take this land. But despite the history, despite all he'd done, despite all the victories he'd been a part of, and that God comes to him at the beginning of the book of Joshua and he says, get ready, you're about to write the best part of your story. Now, I would have thought that Joshua would have thought he'd already written a pretty good story. But God said, you haven't seen anything yet. That's only just the beginning. That's the preview. You're about to write the best part of your story. And then God began to unfold before him in the first three or four chapters of Joshua and that the victories that he was going to experience, the battles that he was going to win, and God set out a blueprint for him which was what to come. He began in those first chapters to set the scene for a time when the sun would stand still. Joshua, I don't think at that moment, knew, you know, he'd seen great things, but he was about to see the sun stand still at the command of his voice. He was about to see the Jordan River bank up and stop flowing so that they, they could go across. He was about to see miracles. He was about to see the setting he was about to set the scene for the lineage of Jesus by rescuing Rahab. There was a lot of things that Joshua was about to do. And, that, and the Lord has recently been stirring me personally and as a church family and, that, and as, a, as a pastor. He said, 
he's given us so many prophetic words, whether they're words which come directly from the word of God or words which have been spoken to us by people who we esteem, honor, and respect as prophets of God. Both to, to Peter and me as a couple, to our family, to Breakthrough Christian Church, and that there are so many promises. And like Joshua, we may feel we've seen a lot, we've, we've done a lot corporately, we've seen miracles, we've seen breakthroughs, but God comes to us and he says there is so much more. And I guess keep feeling him stirring me this morning saying there is so much more for everybody who is here this morning, who is watching online and who will watch online in the future. God has given, given many of you words over your life, callings, giftings. Maybe he's given you dreams, things in your heart that you haven't seen come to pass. And that as the Lord instructed me yesterday afternoon, he said, just begin to write down things which I have said corporately to the church over just the last few months. And that in December last year, he told us in an extraordinary service, and it was one that if you, if you uh, were here, you'll know what I mean. He, the Lord really stopped and hijacked the service. And he said, prepare to be amazed. God told us during our time of prayer and fasting in February that there was more to our story. There was much more. And that Pastor George Pearsons, Brother Jesse Duplantis, Brother Jerry Seville, and Pastor Tracy Harris have all given very significant words over our church. And that many, many, many words, Pastor Tracy Harris, and that I continue, I'm, I never think of his word without being amazed at the lengths that God went to to get that prophetic word to us. And for anybody who doesn't know, I'll just give an incredibly quick overview. Um, our family and Graham and Judith were up in Queensland for a conference and that the conference had finished. Pastor Tracy Harris, who is a pastor um, from Arkansas in America, but travels a lot with both Brother Jesse, Brother Jerry and with Brother Copeland. And he'd come out for the conference even though he wasn't speaking at it. We had very briefly for about 60 seconds met him and that we were actually having, having coffee with Brother Jerry Seville um, up at Starbucks, and then Pastor Tracy had walked in. Brother Jerry said, Tracy, I'm wanting to meet my Australian family. So he introduced us. He said, hello. He said, I won't, you know, hold you up. He, he said, I'll let you have some, you know, fellowship time together, and he left. That was, the, that was the entirety of our meeting of him. And that I don't know if it would have been very memorable to him. It probably wasn't even really memorable to us. We were just enjoying having time with Brother Jerry. And that three days later... The conference is finished and, and all, the, all the ministries have flown back to America, we thought. I didn't know Pastor Tracy had stayed on for an extra couple of days on his own. We get up in the morning and decide we're going to go for coffee. That's what you do in the morning. And so we were very, exactly, that, that's, a, that's a good start to your day. So we got up and it was, I think it was Brooke, myself and Graham and Judith. I think that was all. We went downstairs to go to coffee and I felt the Lord say, go to a specific coffee shop, which was actually a distance away, but I knew it was Brooke's favourite. So I said, oh, it's our last day here. Let's go, let's walk to that coffee shop. So we walked all the way to the coffee shop to get there to find they had a queue that just went out the door and down the street, and we were going to be ages. Like I, I, I would have estimated 30 to 45 minutes before we would have even got a coffee. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to wait that long and we need to pack. So I said, let's just go back to Starbucks, which was right underneath where we were staying. 
And in my mind, I'm having this conversation with God. I said, why did you, did I feel the Holy Spirit say, go to all the way down there, and yet now we're going back. We've just wasted time and that. And as we're walking back, I was probably grumbling underneath because I'm thinking, Lord, I'm tired. You know, why, why did you really, I really felt you impressed me. Did I, did I miss it? Did I not hear from you? We almost get back to Starbucks and I look and see Pastor Tracy Harris standing in the middle of the, the mall on his own, just kind of looking around. And so I thought, oh, that's Brother Jerry's friend. He's lost. So I went up. I said, excuse me, Pastor Tracy. And he turned around and before I could say, are you lost or anything? He said, you're who it's for. He said, the Lord woke me up at 4 a.m. and told me that I had a prophetic word. I was to come down to the mall at this time and stand here. And he said he would show me who it was for. And I'm just standing there, Graham and Judith and Brooke and I, we're just like, you know, and that he began to prophesy over our church, a powerful prophecy, and that he didn't keep his voice down. He didn't worry we were in the middle of a mall. He just stood there and he prophesied. And then he said to me, the word of God came to me at 4 a.m. and God said, this word is for breakthrough. He thought a breakthrough was a verb and he was thinking he was going to, you know, he was sharing it. And then he said to me, by the way, what's the name of your church? Because he didn't know anything about it. I said, our church is called Breakthrough. And he just stood there. He goes, well, praise God. I know that this is definitely for you. And he gave a powerful prophetic word. I'm not going to go into it now because I think you can find it on our website or we can get a copy of it because it is for the entire church. But I said, God went to extraordinary lengths. If he, if, if he hadn't have directed me to walk down to a coffee shop to come back, and that we wouldn't have been there at that time. That's what I mean. So if God was willing to divinely interrupt our day like that and to keep Pastor Tracy back, and he said he just really felt to stay an extra day and, that, and, he, and God had an assignment for him, then we need to take that word seriously. And like Joshua, we need to say, okay, that word is pregnant with, impos- with possibility, but it also... As, as so many, so much of it is also our responsibility. That is, it is right through the things that we need to do. So that is all an introduction to say that God has given us as a church, and I know without a doubt, probably the majority of you here at different times in your life has given you dreams, visions, des- yeah, thoughts of destiny. He's given you prophetic words, but. God is saying it is time to see them come to pass. It is time to cross the Jordan and to see them come to pass. Maybe you can't call to mind something that God has specifically told you, but just pray, read his word. God will speak to you through, through his word. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh, this sermon's not for me. I don't have anything. I should have slept in this morning. I'm glad you're here because God wants to give you something this morning. And that, and it's part of our church family, all the promises and the destinies and the words, like the one of Pastor Tracy, the one Brother Jesse gave in this building a couple of years ago, the words that Brother Jerry has given, and that they're, they're all for you as part of our church family. Peter was reminding me where it says in Luke, we're thinking of Luke saying in Acts chapter 16, the dream God gave Paul, we went to work at once, getting things ready to cross over to Macedonia. All the pieces had come together. We knew now for sure what that God had called us to preach and the good news to the to preach the good news to the Europeans. Paul had a dream and he had a vision, but Luke actually called it their vision. Okay? And and that so the anything that God has spoken to our church 
church, as part of the church family, it is for you as well. And I encourage you, pastor can tell you later how you can see the things. We don't just take words from anybody. We only listen to words from reputable sources that we know, we honor, and we esteem. And when they speak things in our church, you grab a hold of it. You pray. You become part of it. But each of you also has a, a destiny and a purpose. And whatever it is, wherever part you are, I want you to know there's more to your story. And this morning there was a couple of books that I said, I love books. I've brought a couple of books here, which are differing books. Okay. This is a book called, This Is My Story, by Cecil Wong. You may not know Cecil Wong, but if you turn around, his grandson is sitting in the back row. This is, this is Chris's grandfather, is that right? And he turned 100 last year. He is still alive. He's going to be 101 in, in September. So, so if, if the Lord, you know, gives him more time. But this is his biography. This is something written at the end of a life that's been lived for God. It wasn't that long ago he gave up golf, was it? Is that right? Yes. A hundred years old, he's just retired from playing golf. And that, but God, but he's, the main thing is he's lived a life for God. He's raised a family, generational faith that are living for God. And that at the end of he, coming to the end of his life, he wanted to write his story. Or I actually think, was it your dad that wrote it, Chris? Am I right? Or, or it, was a joint, it was a joint thing. So, but they wanted to write it as a biography of his, of, of his life. So you've got that kind of a book, which is, this is my story. And at 100, I think you, that's a pretty good time to write, write, this is my story. This is another book I got many years ago, a Christian singer that um, I loved and I still do, Debbie Boone. Um, any of you who are older would probably know, more know her as Pat Boone's daughter. And, that, and she was, when she was 18, she had a hit song which went absolutely crazy, You Light Up My Life, broke all sorts of, um, of records and for the longest um, time for a uh, song to be number one on the charts, on the billboard charts, all sorts of things, and catapulted her from really um, being just the daughter of a famous person to suddenly being the most celebrated singer in the world for many years and took her on, on a pathway that God had for her. And when she was in her mid-20s, she wrote this book, biography. And I love it because it's called Debbie Boone, So Far. Because she said she'd been asked to write a biography, but she didn't feel that she said at 25, even though she had had probably seven amazing years that not many people would actually experience, she said she felt a little bit young to be writing a biography. And so as she prayed, she said, the Lord said, just write it so far. This is just what God's done so far. But there is still so much more to happen in your life. So you've got two kind of biographies. Here you've got Chris's grandpa, who I believe his biography is probably written at a time when there won't be a lot more added to it, I don't think. And that 101, he's doing very well. This is a biography written somebody mid-20s who now is um, in her early 60s and God is still using her and she's still working for God and she has done so much more since this 
But she, she didn't just take that one thing that God gave her and she didn't make it her final biography. Do you understand? She didn't, she didn't, you know, get, she'd been praying for this opportunity. The opportunity came. Everything just went through the roof for her. And that, but she didn't stop there because she says at the end of it, there's so much more to my story. She said, I'm only 25. What else can God accomplish through me? Whereas I'm sh- sure Cecil is probably saying, I've lived a good life. You know, I'm probably getting ready to depart in peace. You know, this is, you know, 100, 101 years old and that my golf game's over, so I might as well go. And that, so do you, so do you understand? There's, there's very, very, there's two differences. I don't think anybody here is 100. And if you are, you're hiding your age incredibly well. And that I don't believe any of you are at the point of writing your final biography. But I reckon every one of you are in a so far stage. And that so far. This is what God has done so far. But the best is yet to come. Joshua had seen a lot. He'd done a lot. But there was so much more to his story. For all of you who are parents, and this is something that you know the greatest um, passion that I have is for teaching mums. Um, I have such a passion for not just raising children, but for helping others and mentoring mums in raising children. And that, but I want to say to you, as the Lord spoke to you yesterday, he said, there is a calling on you to raise children that will find and fulfill their destiny. Being a mum doesn't finish when you give birth. Giving birth is just so far. In fact, it's not even so far. It's probably just the beginning, you know. Let's start at the very beginning, you know. It's a very good place to start. And that, that you know, giving birth and even sending your children to school is only the very beginning. Setting them on their God-given path and destiny is what it's about. And that, and, and as you know, and one of the things I, I, I think I teach a lot when I'm teaching mums is that decisions determine destiny and decisions that you make as parents will impact your children's destiny and it is so important that you seek God and find out what is his story for them not what is my story how many parents can be can raise a child based on the frustrations of what they didn't achieve you know I wanted to do this so therefore I didn't get the opportunity so I'm going to make sure my child does No, what is God's story for your child? What are the chapters that God wants, has got ahead? Young people here who are not married, I want to tell every one of you, God has a story for you. And there are so many chapters yet to be written and and that he's calling for people to rise up and to be Joshua's today, to go into their generation and to, to preach the word and to reach others. And that it does not matter where you are, I do not believe we have any Cecils in our meeting this morning. People who are actually genuinely coming to the end of their life. And I'm not speaking anything prophetically against him, but I'm saying this man is, is, is going to be 101 in September. And that genuinely coming to the end of his days, my guess is looking forward with massive anticipation to going to be to heaven. Is that right, Chris? I know when I talked to your dad, he said to me, I think he's just, he's ready to hang up his boots and just to go. And I don't blame him, okay? He's hung up his golf clubs. He wants to hang up his boots and he's ready to go home because he has lived a life for God. But I don't believe there's anybody here who is listening. And that, but I do believe there's many Debbie Boones here. You've seen 
some things. You've seen God's done some great things, but there is so much more. There is so much more. I really feel, and I am going to actually come back to that. The Lord had given me prophetic words for some of the people in the meeting this morning. But I'm actually going to go back and do it at the, at the very end and that. But hang in there. I want this morning to be a wake-up call. If we don't know what God has for us and our family in the future and that we need to seek and find him, ask for his direction and that, for his promises. Ask where are the lands he, ha- he wants us to conquer. If we do know and we have words and promises, then we need to rise up in the spirit of Joshua and go in and possess the land. So you could be sitting there this morning saying, I, I don't know, I've got no idea. That's fine. Seek God, he will show you. Or you may be sitting there with a pile of things God's already shown you and you haven't done anything with them. It's time to say, whichever category you fit into, God says it's time to go in and possess the land. And also to realize that there is so many people waiting on the other side of our obedience. And you know what? I I don't know, I don't know whether I'll ever meet this man, but I've met his grandson, I've met his son, I've met his granddaughter-in-law, I presume that's what your, your title is. I've met his great-grandchildren. I've seen the impact that he has had. But I, and that you read his book and you, you will read how many people have been impacted by this life. That if he hadn't have done what God had called him to do, if he hadn't have lived the life God called him to do, Jasmine and Chris may not be in the kingdom today and they may not be in Australia today. They may not be married today. Do you understand? And that because he followed God's path for his life and that other people have been impacted. Debbie Boone, even though, as I said, she's she's still got a long way to go as far as her life goes, but so many people have been impacted by her ministry, particularly in Hollywood and particularly in circles that not a lot of other people would get um, access to, where people have been touched by her testimony, touched by her obedience. And that there's so many people waiting on the other side. Joshua needed to cross the river and lead the people in because the future of many others depended on it. So us laying hold as a church of the prophetic words God has given breakthrough is important for the people in Bayswater. Because how many people are waiting for us pressing in and crossing over to what God's got for us because their salvation and their future is going to be impacted by it. There are many reasons we don't actively pursue the prophetic words or the dreams that God has put in our life or the things that God's told us to do, the callings that he's placed on our lives. One of them is busyness, allowing the cares of the world, the affairs of men to have a stronger pull than the affairs of God. One of them is laziness, not wanting to put in the effort because it takes work to clear the land. How many of you know that? When you go in and possess the land, you have to clear the land. You don't often get given vacant, vacant. when I say vacant blocks, even then you have to work on it. You don't get given vacant landscaped blocks generally, okay? And that priorities is another thing, allowing the things of the world to hold a greater place in our life, having a greater desire to display the trophies of men in a prominent place than to display the victories of God. And that I would love to speak on each of those and I wouldn't be surprised if I do at later times. But this morning, the Lord 
gave me one specific one to speak on, and that is fear. It's not a coincidence that God addressed this multiple times with Joshua in chapter 1. It says, be strong and brave. You must lead these people in the conquest of the land. Then in, that's, that's chapter, verse 6. Then in verse 7, he says, make sure you are strong and brave. Then in verse 9, he says, I repeat, be strong and brave. Now, if I got an email from somebody and they repeated the same two words three times, I would probably stop and listen. Be strong and brave, make sure you are strong and brave, and then, and then I repeat, be strong and brave, don't be afraid and don't panic. And I love it in, in Joshua. Yeah, God has something very strong on his mind. Joshua 1, nine, where it says, I repeat, be strong and brave, don't be afraid and don't panic, for I, the Lord your God, am with you wherever you go. Why did God feel the need to say it so many times? Because he knew it would be a challenge. He does, God does not repeat himself to fill up a page of words. He knew it would be a challenge, so he has continually said it. You know, studying the life of King David, a man who also had a huge destiny, I saw a key to overcoming fear, which I want us to concentrate on this morning. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6 to 10, it says, So David led his troops to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites who lived there. You'll never come in here, they told him. Even the blind and lame could keep you out, for they thought you for they thought that they were safe. But David and his troops defeated them and captured the stronghold of Zion, now called the city of David. When the insulting message from the defenders of the city reached David, he told his troops, go up through the water tunnel into the city and destroy those lame and blind Jebusites. And how I hate them. So David made the stronghold of Zion, also called the city of David, his headquarters. Then beginning at the old Millow section of the city, he built northward toward the present city center. Then it says, David proceeded with a longer stride and a larger embrace because he knew the God of angel armies was with him. David knew the God of angel armies was with him. David was able to go up and lay hold of the future that God had laid out for him, possess the land God had promised him, despite how large or daunting that seemed, because he knew he was well acquainted with the God of angel armies. He knew who went before him and he knew who stood behind him. He knew the power of God that was with him. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 17. I will read it through. I'll probably be jumping in verses if, it, if you find it hard to follow. But it says, One time when the king of Aram was at war with Israel after consulting with his officers, he said, At such and such a place I want an ambush to be sent. Set. The holy man sent a message to the king of Israel. Watch and when you're passing this place because Aram has sent an ambush there. So the king of Israel sent word concerning the place which the holy man had warned him. This kind of thing happened all the time. The king of Aram was furious over all this. He called his officers together and said, tell me who is leaking the information to the king of Israel, who is the spy in our ranks. 
But one of the men said, no, my master, it's not any of us. It's Elisha, the prophet in Israel. He tells the king of Israel everything you see, even when you whisper in your bedroom. The king said, go and find out where he is. I'll send somebody to capture him. The king wanted to get this prophet of God who was able to speak into the future. So the king dispatched horses and chariots, an impressive fighting force. They came by night and surrounded the city. Early in the morning, a servant of Elisha got up and went out. Surprise, there's horses and chariots surrounding the city. The young man exclaimed to Elisha, Oh, master, what shall we do? I don't know what I'd do if I walked out of my house tomorrow morning and there's horses and chariots and people surrounding it. And that, But Elisha said, Don't worry, there are more on our side than there are on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, Oh, God, open my servant's eyes and let him see. The eyes of the young man were open and he saw the whole mountainside was full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. Elisha was able to confidently stand when the king of Syria had sent his forces against him because he knew that the God of angel armies was on his side. He knew that greater was, was those that were with him than those that were with, than were with the opposition. He knew the power of the ones that were with him and in comparison, the power of the opposition was nothing. I want to finish with a, a, a personal story and that um, this is a totally true story but for the sake of privacy, I'm not saying any names. It's not somebody from our church. But I have a friend um, who was a journalist. She was one of the few good and honest journalists around. She's, she was highly decorated and seriously awarded in Australia for all of her works and the newspaper she was working for this was quite a few years ago wanted to run a feature on a particular people group in Melbourne that were being targeted in a particular area in our city the targeting was extreme lives had been lost um, and a lot of people were living in a state of terror so when the editors got the idea that they wanted her to run a story um, they wanted it to be from the position of the people group that were being targeted and how they felt. So the editors wanted an inside understanding, so they asked her or actually told her that she was to disguise herself as part of the people group and then she was to go into all the shopping centres and walk the streets for a whole day in the particular area where the most violence had occurred and to see how she felt and then to write a compelling story based on how what she felt. And I remember she said to me, she was not overly thrilled at this prospect, but she said the editors promised her that they had hired bodyguards big bodyguards, and they introduced it to all of them, and they would be dressed as normal people, and they would be walking the streets around her. She would not have conversation with them. There would be no eye contact from her point of view, but they said, "At in a split second, we can get you out of there if there is an attack on you. So she said that gave her a greater confidence, not total confidence, she said, but a far greater confidence because she knew she had at least six or seven burly security guards that were 
surrounding her consistently, blending in with the crowd and were armed and ready to get her out in a split second if her life was put in danger and if there was an attack on her life. And that and I remember when we sat and we had coffee both before and after the event and she said it was probably the most frightening thing she's ever done in her life. But she said the more she would look around and she, she said all of them were dressed totally differently but she knew who each one of them were. She said it would give her confidence. Like David, she was able to lift her head just a little bit higher. She was able to walk just with a little bit more strength because even though there was a lot of people that were hostile towards her, she knew that, that there was more people and greater armed people that were for her than there were against her. And she knew that there were people that could get weapons in an instant and get her out of there safely. And she said the more the day went on, the more her confidence grew because she knew who was surrounding her. And she got through unscathed. She wrote an amazing story, um, got a, a national award for the story that she wrote. But it was all done because she said she would never, ever have done it if she did not have the confidence of the people that were around. She knew she was surrounded by some pretty big men. She knew she was surrounded by people who were armed and, she, and that. And people who would not be recognised by anybody else who would maybe choose to attack her because they were all dressed as attackers themselves and that. And so the potential attackers couldn't see them, but she could and that. And she knew they were there. And so like Elisha, when Elisha said, God, open my servant's eyes to see who's around, I think there were many times she said she would have liked to have said, Lord, open the eyes of all these people who are staring at me to realize the army that is actually walking these streets with me. I, I would so um, love you to get an understanding this morning and a knowledge of the greatness of the God who is with you and that you may know what God has called you to. You may have promises, visions, things, prophetic words printed all around your house but you still can feel the enormity of the task? The answer for you is the same as it was for Elisha's servant, for the same as it was for that friend of mine, for the same as it was when Joshua, the answer is in knowing, intimately, truly knowing the one who goes before you, the one who stands beside you. And that I just want to do something really quickly. Brooke, if I could just get you to jump up. Mark, could I get you to come over here? Maybe Caleb, can I just get you for one sec? And maybe Peter. I just want Brooke, just for a couple, just for a minute, just so you can get this visual. I want her to be walking just around the church. And I want you to see her. If you guys come and stand relatively close to her, and that Brooke is, is relatively small in comparison. Sorry. <laughs> you're protecting her. You're not. <laughs> yeah, you're not attacking her. But I want you to understand that. I want you to see Mark. Come over here. Get real. Like get close. As Brooke's walking around the church, you guys just follow her. And I want you to see Brooke's statue is small, but this 
these guys are representing the, the God of angel armies. These guys are representing those who are for her. And it doesn't matter where she goes. And she is actually not even conversing with them, but they are there. And I want you to see, keep coming and come back down, down the front. And that I want you to see Brooke represents every one of you here. And Mark and Caleb and Peter represent those who are standing and that who, who are protecting. Caleb, you're able, you, can go, you can jump up on the seat. You guys can sit down. But, or actually, you stand there for one minute to the other two. Stand there, one each side of Brooke. And I want you to get a picture that this is you, Jasmine, this is you as a mum. Okay, and that James, this is you, and that Althea, this is you, Kirsty, this is you, and you're walking through your life, and that, but you're not doing it alone. You've got the God of angel armies, and that, and you may not be able to see the God of angel armies. I mean, if I could do a perfect illustration, I would somehow make the guys kind of disappear, but I can't do that, and that, but I, but yeah, just, just pretend that they disappeared, and that, but they are still there. They are there. They are there every step of the way. And Brooke's got visions and dreams and words, and she's got lands to lay hold of. And as she walk across, as she goes across there, and that the God of angel armies, they're, they're with her every step of the way. They don't leave her. God doesn't give you a word and then say, go and do it yourself. He's with you every step of the way. He is with you every step of the way. And people around you may not be able to see it. People may say to you, Brooke, how can you even think that's ever going to come to pass? That is just too, that's just too big. But you say, you don't, you don't, see, the, you don't see who I've got with me. You know, how could my friend walk through streets where people had lost their lives because they'd been attacked? And that she could do it because she knew she was surrounded by guys who were bigger and better and more armed and that to be able to take anybody on who tried to stop her. And I want you to see yourself. Walk back and forth a couple more times. These guys are representing the God of angel armies, the ones who go before you, the ones who come behind, and that you can be seated, and that the greater you get to know the God of angel armies and that, and to know, can I say, there's, there is knowledge and there, there is knowledge. You know, I use the example and that Peter and I have been married 35 years. <laughs> We've been married 35 years. We dated for two years. We were probably friends for, for I think, another, at least two or three years before that. And that I really know this guy. If I'm in trouble, I have no doubt because I know him so well, he will be there for me. He will drop anything to be there for me. I want you to understand, I know Peter because I have known him for a long time. Our children know Peter and they know he will drop anything to, to help them. Graham and Judith have known Peter as long as I have. So... Yeah, they didn't date him, but they've known him as long as I have. We've holidayed together. We've done so much together. They really know him. And I'm guessing that they would have that same confidence that if they ever needed Peter, he would be there. Is that right? Some of you have only known Peter for 12 months. Some of you may have known him for a week. And that some of you, like Ethan, you know him from basketball. You know, you know him as a basketball coach. And that St. Andrews Christian College know him as the vice chairman. So most of the parents and the teachers kind of know him, but they don't know him like I know him. And that the basketball team don't know him like I know him. And that, you know, that we, the more time you spend with a person, 
the longer you have a relationship with him, you get to really know him. But can I also say something? And this isn't in any way a put down. Peter's mum obviously knew Peter very well. She gave birth to Peter. But 25 years ago, she moved overseas and then for the last 25 years has lived between Indonesia and Perth. So probably in that time, we would have only seen her maybe maybe 10 times in 25 years that we've actually seen her. So even though she knows him really well because he's her son, her knowledge is based on something from a long time ago. So she couldn't have the same confidence that I have. I'm sure she knows Peter would never let her down. I don't mean that. But do you understand? She doesn't really know, know the man he's become now because she hasn't been in a position to see him. For most of the time, she has, hasn't even been where we could even have phone or email contact with her. So for her, Peter would still probably in her memory be the, the teenager or the guy in his mid-20s or the father with the young son. Um, she hasn't met Peter since he became a grandfather. You know, she, she, like, so her knowledge of him is still strong, but it would be like a Sunday school knowledge, if that makes sense. And you know what? When my friend was walking those streets, she didn't want a Sunday school knowledge of those people that were protecting her. She wanted a real knowledge. She wanted a knowledge of who they are, how big they were, and what weapons they were carrying, and how quickly they could get her to safety if her life was attacked. And that, you know, you need a current knowledge not a past knowledge. You need a knowledge which is growing all the time. My knowledge of Peter has grown, you know, so much more from the first day I met him. You know, like I said, we, and that, and I've seen how he will protect and stand up for the family. I've seen how he will stand up for this church. I've seen the things that he will do. I've seen the man on his knees for hours praying and interceding for you guys. And that, so my knowledge of him, my confidence in him, comes from a knowledge which has been long-term and has got stronger and stronger and stronger. The word know means to perceive with certainty, to be informed, to distinguish, to recognize by remembrance, to be no stranger, to be familiar with, to have clear and certain perception, full assurance, never ever doubting. I want to tell you that Moses saw the God of angel armies open up the Red Sea. Daniel saw the God of angel armies shut a lion's mouth. Joshua saw the God of angel armies bring a wall down. David stood as a teenager and declared to Goliath his days were numbered because he knew the God of angel armies was with him. Nehemiah confidently continued building the wall despite the attacks because he knew the God of angel armies would see him through. Esther walked into the king's chamber and said, if I perish, I perish, because she knew the God of angel armies had called her to deliver her people. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego saw the God of angel armies deliver them from fire. The list goes on. This morning, I want to speak specifically to every one of you, and I want to ask you to stand. I believe that the God of angel armies is here to help you fulfill the calling of God that's on your life.